The History of Literature podcast is a member of the Podglomerate Network and Lit Hub Radio. Hmm. Hello. Welcome, everyone. How are you? How are you? I hope you're doing well. I'm Jack Wilson, and this is the History of Literature podcast. Ah, there we go. Just a quick little theme song today and a quick introduction because we have a special treat for you. Another podcast is guesting for us today, the Book Dreams podcast. These guys are great, and it's a great subject. So let me give you a little bit of background, and then I will turn things over to Julie and Eve and their guest. So here we go. There was a great period in American literature, the late 19th century, centered mostly in Massachusetts where politics and philosophy and literature were all fused together. The transcendentalists, they were called, and they were trying to get things right, internally and externally. We see abolitionists coming out of this movement, and feminists coming out of this movement, and philosophers and educational reform. We've talked about a few of the leading lights here on the podcast. Ralph Waldo Emerson and Henry David Thoreau have had their own episodes. And Hawthorne and Melville, who we've talked about extensively, are at least adjacent to this group, but there are a few we haven't yet covered. One of them is the great reformer, Bronson Alcott. And another even more important figure for our story is his daughter, Louisa May Alcott. You probably know her as the author of Little Women, and deservedly so. That book has been a staple of children's literature almost since it was written. Adults and children alike have devoured that book and its sequels, Little Men and Joe's Boys, but we will have a lot more to cover when we do our episode on Louisa May Alcott, more than just those books. She was very prolific even beyond the Little Women books. She wrote a lot of stories for children and some grown-up novels, too. She wrote an early detective story, and pseudonymously, she wrote some sensationalist novels and some gothic thriller, thriller short stories. She wrote strong women in these books, determined protagonists, often semi-autobiographical, and she herself was a dynamo, writing, teaching, and advocating. During the Civil War, she served as a nurse, which prompted her father to write a long poem to her in appreciation for how proud he was to be her dad. We will have a lot of good stuff to cover when we do our Louisa May Alcott chapter in our story. In the meantime, here's a podcast episode to wet your whistle. The Book Dreams podcast, Julie and Eve, who have the good stone-in-your-shoe approach to podcasting. What is the stone in your shoe? It's the best advice for writers or academics or artists or creative people of any kind. What is that thing that... That's gnawing at you. What is the idea or puzzle or question that won't leave you alone? And here they have one. Little Women, the version of the book we've all been reading, is not the same book as the one that Louisa May Alcott wrote. It's been edited for us. We have someone in the middle. Someone intervened. Someone changed it smoothed out some rough edges or something. What did they do? Who did that and why? What did they take out? What has it meant for the millions of people who have read that book since then? That's a pretty good stone. 
I hope those two <laughs> hope those two don't mind that I'm calling it a stone in their shoe. Maybe I need a better analogy when I apply this to other people. It's okay for Jack Wilson to talk about the stone in his clodhoppers, but maybe not others. How about the grain of sand in the oyster shell? This thing that's going to turn into a pearl. Julie and Eve have that grain of sand here. What is the real Little Women? I hope you enjoy Book Dreams after this. Hello, everyone. This is Jack here to tell you about a way to eat better and easier. That's right, Factor and their delicious, ready-to-eat meals. These things are amazing. Chef-crafted, always fresh, never frozen. All you do is heat them up and you're ready to go. No prepping, cooking, or cleanup. And you get something healthy, nutritious, and tasty. I love Factor meals, especially on those days when I'm in the office. They're better for me than snacks or junk food and much cheaper and faster than buying my lunch at a restaurant. You can choose options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, Keto, and you can change your schedule to get as much or as little as you need every week, whatever suits you and your family best. Head to factormeals.com literature50 and use code literature50 to get 50% off. That's code LITERATURE50 at factormeals.com slash literature50 to get 50% off. Hey, grown-ups! The Cat in the Hat cast is a new podcast from Wondery, perfect for the whole family. Join the Cat in the Hat and your favorite Dr. Seuss characters as they get whisked away on a new adventure every week. Fish dreams of creating his very own polite and quiet podcast. That is, until he gets a surprise visit to his fishbowl podcast studio from the cat in the hat himself, and it becomes very clear that the cat has other plans for the podcast, and those plans are the opposite of quiet. The cat may be disruptive, but it turns out he's also a great help to get fish out of all kinds of predicaments. Bursting with music, silliness, and rhymes, the cat in the hat cast encourages us all to find fun that is funny in every episode. Sing along to new favorite songs, try your luck at Titanic tongue twisters, have some fun with wondrous wordplay, and most importantly, bring your family along for all of the adventures in the Cat in the Hat cast. Follow the Cat in the Hat cast on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the Cat in the Hat cast ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or Wondery Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts.
Hello, and welcome to Book Dreams, the podcast for everyone who loves books and has ever wondered about them. I'm Julie Sternberg, author of a number of children's books, including Like Pickle Juice on a Cookie and its sequels. And I'm Eve Yohalem, also a children's book author. My books include The Truth According to Blue, which is coming out May 12, and Cast Off, The Strange Adventures of Petra de Winter and Brom Broen. In each episode of this podcast, we explore a book-related musing, something we've been dying to know. In this episode of Book Dreams, we want to know how does the original version of Little Women compare to the version that we grew up reading and that our parents grew up reading and our grandparents and great-grandparents grew up reading because it turns out we did not grow up reading the original version. Amazing. Amazing. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of an origin story for us. We were trying to decide what our podcast should be about and we decided that it should be about books because we love books. So while we were having this conversation about what our podcast should be about, I happened to be reading this marvelous book by Anne Boyd Rue, whom we interviewed for this episode. And the book is called, her book is called Meg, Joe, Beth, Amy, The Story of Little Women and Why It Matters. And what she explained in that book is that Louisa May Alcott published the first half of Little Women in 1868, and then she published the second half in 1869. And then in 1881, her publisher got this great idea to put out a new edition. And this time around, he was going to clean it up. He was going to clean it up (laughs) to make it more appropriate for proper young ladies. And that's the version that we've been reading almost ever since. Yes, for basically a century or more, practically no one realized that the changes had been made until Norton, the publisher, recently went through and compared the original version with the one that survived and printed a list of changes in the appendix of the Norton Critical Edition of Little Women. Yes, or until they read Anne's book, like I did, (laughs) and and discovered all of this. Right, right. So we reached out to Anne, who's written a number of books involving American women writers, including Meg Jo, Beth, and Amy, which was a huge success in its own right. It was an indie bestseller. It was chosen as a 2018 best book of the year or a book not to miss by a number of different publications. And also edited the deluxe edition of Little Women for Penguin Classics. So we're so happy that she agreed to join us on the podcast. Yes. So here she is discussing how very popular Little Women made Louisa May Alcott. She was the J.K. Rowling of her day in terms of popularity and wealth. It's amazing to let that sink in. Little Mm -hmm. Women was as popular in the 19th century as Harry Potter is today. And not just for a few years. I mean, for decades, Mm -hmm. well after her death. People were still writing her fan letters because they didn't know... Like she, she had died. Yeah. Right. Well, the book was still so fresh, right? It still felt so real and so close. People didn't think of it as an old book, necessarily. It felt like she lived on a bit longer, yeah. Can you describe this 1881 version, how that came about, and how that differs from the original version? Robert's Brothers, they kept republishing the first two volumes, you know, many reprintings, and 1881, they decided to put the two together and give it a pretty cover and to hire an illustrator, Frank Merrill, to do extensive illustrations throughout the book. And then also somebody, we don't know exactly how this happened, but the language of the book changed. Mm -hmm. They went through and made dozens, hundreds 
of little changes to and the some language. some of them are substantive. Can we talk about a couple of those examples? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do, do you have some there? I, I brought some as well. Yeah, I think the changes are significant. It changed the tone of the book. Big time. And it changed her voice. Let's give some examples so people will understand. Um, Let's do Marmy. But in the original, first description we get of her is, she wasn't a particularly handsome person, but mothers are always lovely to their children. Mm. So not particularly handsome, but her kids love her. In the version we grew up on, she was not elegantly dressed, but a noble-looking woman. Yeah. That is substantively different. It is. She's not Marmee anymore, is no, she? No. Yeah. And not as interesting, I think, a description. Well, she's not as real. Yeah. And I think, actually, the illustrations in that edition as well, the Frank Merrill illustrations, which are the classic illustrations, and Alcott loved them. She definitely approved of the illustrations, although she never commented on the, the textual changes. I think those images also take out the realness of the characters. Mm-hmm. They're like Gibson girls or something. Yeah. You know, they and have the little clothes pointy so noses. And, and yeah, and they're all like thin ladies with their beautiful Victorian dresses. And it doesn't, I think the changes in the text kind of mirror those illustrations in a way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and then here's the first time we meet Lori. Original version. Long nose, nice teeth, little hands and feet, tall as I am. Meaning Joe, right? Meaning Mm -hmm. Joe. He's only as tall as Joe, small hands and feet, nice teeth, long nose. What we read was handsome nose, fine teeth, small hands and feet, taller than I am. So he gets taller. Yeah. This male character has to be bigger. Joe gets smaller, Lori gets bigger, and he's not as good looking in the original. He's better looking. His nose was long and now it's handsome. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We don't know who made the changes, or if it was just one person. It seems most likely that Alcott was not involved. She was willing to let them change it, which is unfortunate, because what they've done is they've made everybody more respectable. Yes. The language more respectable. Yes. And that addition was designed to make Little Women a classic, so that you could put it on your shelf next to your Hawthorne and your Emerson and Thoreau. But wasn't it already being treated that way? It was all, I and mean, now we're getting ahead of ourselves. It was, but no, it, it no? wasn't. Okay. That edition instigated a sort of uptick in sales. This book was a book that was meant to stay on your shelf and be there forever, an heirloom that you would pass down. And yeah. then the changes inside were meant to reflect this kind of elevation to a more respectable status because the original book that she wrote is full of slang. Full. Ain't is on at least <laughs> every page. Right. You know, but I ain't Miss March versus but I am not Miss March. That's right. a very different They clean voice. up, right. Or and, and all the slang I have, you know, I'll be as prim as a dish versus I'll be as prim as I can. All um, the colloquialisms all the get colloquialism smoothed that are, out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And there were other things that I noticed. I think it's Joe says, you know, she was so upset about taking care of Aunt March. Right, that's and she says something about, I'll fly out the window or box her ears in the original. And then in the cleaned up version, fly out the window or cry. That is a character difference, right? That Joe in the original was going to punch her aunt in the face, basically. Right. And in the cleaned up version, she was going to weep. Right, you know, yeah, a so radically different. The right, person. so all of the girls, all the rough edges are smoothed off. Right, it happens in terms of characterization, but also in the language that the narrator's using when she describes the girls. 
uh, one of the girls sniffing at a flower, becomes smelling a flower. Mm-hmm. And so there's I have that one on my list. Yeah, I thought too. that one was really interesting. Horrid becomes bad. Instead of the girls shouting, the girls are laughing. They come home at an earlier hour. All these things that are meant to make the girls a bit more uh, refined, which isn't the March sisters. Louisa May Alcott was um, genteel middle class. She was very well educated. But she wanted to translate the real language that real girls were speaking onto the page. And that's what made it originally so popular because the girls felt so real, right? You could just hear them speaking. And when you smooth off all those rough edges, they don't feel as real anymore. And one of the complaints that you hear from people who don't like Little Women, Mm -hmm. because oddly enough, there are people who don't like Little Women, is that it's too prim. Mm -hmm. And I wonder... Mm. If everybody had been reading this version with the rougher language and the stronger characters, if people would have had the same objections. Anne herself made an incredible discovery as she was doing research for her book. She realized that Louisa May Alcott originally wrote two big scenes one way and then changed them significantly before the final draft of the book. So Louisa May Alcott had a reputation for writing really quickly and never editing which meant that Anne had assumed that the early drafts of these two manuscript chapters, which she knew she would be able to find at the Concord Free Public Library, because they're stored there, she thought those two early drafts wouldn't be that interesting, because Louisa May Alcott had this reputation for not changing anything. So Anne delayed going to look at them, but turns out she was wrong. Dum, 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 dum. <laughs> and just so everyone knows, the two chapters that we're talking about, one of them was the chapter where Joe turns down Laurie's proposal of marriage, and the other is the chapter where Amy is writing letters home from Europe. Fred Vaughn is courting her, and she's decided she's going to accept his marriage proposal and make a very sensible marriage until, of course, she throws him over for Laurie. Here's Anne describing the afternoon that she finally went to the Concord Library and sat down with those manuscript chapters. It was one of those electric moments in the archive when I'm sitting there looking at them and comparing them to the printed version of the book. And on the back of one of the manuscript chapters, in Louise's hand, she has written, Saved at Mother's Request. So these apparently were her mother's favorites. One of the chapters is substantially different. It's not just a few cosmetic changes. And which chapter was that? This was the Amy chapter. Well, in the original chapter, in the manuscript, this Captain Lennox guy gets off the boat and starts following her through Europe like a sad puppy dog. And he's the one who's going to propose to her. Fred Vaughn just disappears. And instead, it's this guy, Captain Lennox, she picked up on the boat who's wanting to propose to her. And these other men are serenading her who aren't even in the story. In other words, she's attracting a lot of male attention as she goes through Europe. She's not really able to turn it away. I think she talks about, you know, I'm not flirting, I swear, you know, that sort of thing. But she's having a gay old time. They even go to a casino and she sees women gambling and thinks it's, you know, kind of exciting. there was a casino scene. There was a casino scene, yeah. So... What she did, clearly, is she went through and tamed things down, gave her a more respectable suitor, right? Someone that the family knows. And what about the Lori chapter? How is that different? That is almost exactly like the 
printed version with one very interesting change. So they've had this long conversation where he's pleading with her and she's trying to let him down easily. And finally, she just has to put her foot down and say, Lori, I'm not going to marry you. And he's devastated. Well, in the book, he runs off and says, I'll be hanged, you know, if I'll stand around and watch you fall in love with someone else or whatever, right? He stomps off and he seems very upset. Well, in the manuscript, before he marches off, he grabs her and kisses her passionately. Wow. That was my moment in the archive where I was like, whoa. <laughs> Lori big... forced himself on her, right? Wow. Yeah. He, he just had to have Joe. He, what he's doing is he's exhibiting his passion for her. Yeah. And he makes her see it and feel it. So he grabs her and he kisses her violently. Those are the exact words. You see where she's crossed it out. In the book, Joe is scared of his face. In the manuscript, it says Joe is scared of his passion. She crossed out passion and wrote in face. Just those two little changes, or yeah. maybe there's another one, but it's just those little, little changes. They're big, though. I think they're very big because, again, it shows her real awareness of the attraction between men and women, right? Then yeah. these girls are growing up, and these men are drawn to them physically, as in the Amy chapter, too, right? And the girls are having to negotiate these men's passions and their sexual interest in them. Which, again, is lifelike. In deleting it, it becomes less lifelike. Right. We also talked with Anne about the wider impact of Little Women. The number of contemporary authors who credit the book with influencing their decision to become writers is astonishing. J.K. Rowling, whose nickname happens to be Joe, has said that it's hard to overstate what the Joe of Little Women meant to her. She says, quote, a small, plain girl called Joe who had a hot temper and a burning ambition to be a writer. The girls in Elena Ferrante's Neapolitan Quartet mm -hmm. are obsessed with the book, Little Women, and they dream, like Joe, of writing a novel to escape their life of poverty. So obviously, the book has a global reach. And Ursula K. Le Guin, who's one of my favorite authors of I all love time. Ursula. I love her. I mean, who doesn't love her? Doesn't? <laughs> if you haven't read The Wizard of Earthsea, forthwith. <laughs> Get the Anon. Anon. <laughs> so she said... Quote, it may not seem much, but I don't know where else I or many other girls like me in my generation or my mother's or my daughter's were to find this model, she means of a girl dreaming of eventually becoming a writer, this validation. Mm, I love that. Me too. We also talked about the popularity of the books with boys and men and its use in classrooms. So here's Anne discussing whether Little Women only appealed to girls. Yeah, I mean, the evidence suggests that it wasn't just girls reading the book. When it first came out, it was such a sensation that everybody was reading it. Didn't you say Teddy Roosevelt said it was one of his favorite books? Yeah. Well, I mean, he, he's really macho. He was really he's macho. Very macho man. He's a really manly guy. <laughs> My favorite male fan is John Green because oh. he said once in an interview that he'd always loved Louise May Alcott and didn't understand why she was an author just for girls. When the 1933 film was made with Katherine Hepburn, study guides of little women were sent by the National Council of Teachers of English to every single high school in the entire country. People grew up on it, not just girls. If you start looking at some of the data for what people are teaching in schools, what kids are reading, it starts to fall off by the 1880s. So when I started my research... Wait, I'm sorry, by the 1880s? 
Or I'm so, oh, 1980. I live in the 19th century, so I make that slip sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> 1980s. I naively thought when I started my research that I would love to meet some teachers who were teaching the book to kids. I was dismayed by the responses I got from teachers who told me, oh, I would never teach little women. One of them said to me, literally, it's a private book for girls, not suitable for the public classroom. Well, it just goes to show you, I think, how much what pertains to women's lives in the domestic sphere has become separate from the public world. And this feeling that what goes on at home among women stays there. And as women have ventured out into the public sphere, right, they're supposed to leave all that stuff behind. Can I interrupt for one moment? Because I just want to make it crystal clear that Tom Sawyer came out five years after Little Women, is that right? Yeah. And so when we ask why are Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn still so important as literary novels and what made them groundbreaking, They were coming-of-age stories. They were realistic in their depiction of young people. They used vernacular language. Yeah. And all of that was true of Little Women five years earlier. Yes. And uh, Huck Finn wasn't until 1884, so 16 years later. Huck Finn is a book about race, too, and a book about slavery, big ideas. Putting them side by side, I think, is fascinating and interesting, but it's to me, it's almost more telling that Tom Sawyer is still around ubiquitously and Little Women isn't. So there's no girlhood book being taught. <clears throat> no, and there won't be until we really have a conversation as a culture about what our kids are reading in school. It's not just that girls need to see themselves represented in the text that they're reading in school. That's important, of course. But what's even more important to me is that boys are reading books about girls too. Because reading is one of the most important ways that we learn to develop empathy for people who are different from us. In terms of the importance of reading across difference, a children's librarian told me that she's always giving kids books across lines of class difference, race difference, ethnicity, but she never thought about gender. So is there hope for little women? I do think there's hope for Little Women, and there's a new film that Greta Gerwig directed with an all-star cast, and I've seen it. It's fabulous. I think that this movie will introduce the book to a new generation because it has kind of fallen off the radar of a lot of girls. I mean, I gave it to my daughter when she turned 11 and wanted her to fall in love with Joe, and what I realized, and this is all while I was writing the book, She didn't need Joe in the same way that earlier generations of Mm. girls did because she grew up with Hermione Granger. And she fell in love with Katniss Everdeen. And she was binge-watching Gilmore Girls and watching Rory grow up on TV. And I realized these are the Joe Marches of today for these young women. And they've lost touch with the original Joe March, and so I'm excited that this film is going to introduce her to them. I know you reread all of the little, I'm going to call them the little women books. Right. But little women, little men, and Joe's boys. Yes. What was that like? Do they hold up? I read them as a girl, but I haven't read them since. Do they have something to teach us or do they feel kind of obsolete now? I read them so many times growing up, I can't possibly count, but I hadn't read them since. And I was nervous about rereading them because there are plenty of books I've gone back to reread and they don't hold up. 
I'm thinking about you, Narnia Chronicles. <laughs> <laughs> but I am glad to say that I think, for me at least, they more than hold up. I adored going back and rereading them. I relished it. I loved living in that world again. I loved seeing the characters again. Some of the characters I love more today than I did then. They don't feel obsolete. They really don't feel obsolete. Some of the characters you loved more. Who, yeah, who did well, you love more? I, Beth. And I'll tell you why. Mm. I, I never really liked Beth all that much. She seemed too good to be true. You know, yeah. perfect Beth. I didn't mourn her death the way I should have. And she always just annoyed me. Well, <laughs> one of the... a joy yeah. as a child. <laughs> Sorry, Beth. <laughs> yeah. One of the major revelations for me about Anne's book, Anne has a theory. Well, this is not her theory. The young women and little women were based on Louisa May Alcott's sisters. They were very much taken from life. And Beth was based on a sister of Louisa Mayalcott, who also, you know, grew very ill and died and with whom Louisa was very close. And Anne has a theory in her book that Louisa Mayalcott's sister was anorexic. There are a lot of clues. The description of the actual sister's death, the description of her wasting away sounds very much like what happens with anorexia. And if you go back and you look at little women, there's so much food in the book and eating and there are celebratory meals and times when they're hungry. But Beth never eats. When other people are eating, Beth, you know, is off doing something else, checking on something, being with her kittens, whatever it is. And Beth is an incredibly anxious person. You know, she's described as shy, but she is shy to the point that she has an anxiety disorder. She is truly afraid of being with other people. And she actively does not want to grow up. And so having read Anne's book, when I went back to reread Little Women, I was reading it from the standpoint of this is a, a young woman who is suffering from anorexia. And instead of being annoyed by her, I had so much sympathy for her. And I, I actually wept Aww. when she died, which I hadn't done when she was growing up. I mean, when I was growing up, rather. That's so interesting. Yeah. And also... What I loved specifically about Little Women is it's this group of people, you know, parents, children, grandparents, and they're all really flawed and they all make huge mistakes, but they are all deeply invested in helping each other be the best person they can be. And they come to each other and, you know, Amy says, I'm vain. I know this is a part of my character I really want to work on. And, and it takes her years to get over it. But her family members, she annoys the hell out of them sometimes, but they also acknowledge her struggles and they want to yeah. support her struggles. And that's true of all the characters. And that was a beautiful thing to witness. We've got to go reread this. Right? Not, I can't continue to make this podcast. My list of books that I have to read is just going exponentially. I know. I know. We should talk about that on a future episode. What to do about all the books. We, oh, 100%. We really, well, we are. Wait a minute. We have a whole episode. What books should we read before we die? That's a great episode. Yes. So, yeah. so that's it for this episode of the Book Dreams podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please do subscribe. And please be sure to let us know if there's a book-related topic that you have wondered about. We'll try looking into it in a future episode. You can reach us for that reason or for any other reason at contact at bookdreamspodcast.com. We're also on Twitter at, at bookdreamspod and on Instagram at bookdreamspodcast. You can find Anne Boyd Rue, whose last name, by the way, is spelled R-I-O-U-X, on Twitter at Anne Boyd Rue, or on Facebook as at Anne Boyd Rue Author. 
Many thanks to our associate producer, Gianfranco Lentini, and to our theme music composer, Maya Polsky. You can find me at eveyohallam.com and Julie at juliesternberg.com. And don't forget, if you like the podcast and think someone else would too, please rate and review us in iTunes or Stitcher. Until next time, happy book dreaming. Love, come listen to Book Dreams with Julie and